Welcome to the Together Sober Podcast. I am your host, Louise Barnett, former Fortune 100 Global Sales Director turned Jay Shetty Accredited Life Coach. Each week, we will provide you a safe space of guidance, empathy, accountability, and support, helping you to find effortless sobriety and mental peace. You know the whole concept of paying it forward? That's exactly what Hit Subscribe does. It sends a message to the universe, to people who need to hear the lessons and the tools from the Together Sober podcast. Hit subscribe. Welcome back to the Together Sober podcast, where our mission every week is to create survival guides out of our collective stories. And I'm really excited for the conversation that we are going to have today. Uh, I probably have like an extra smile on my face because we just spent like 20 minutes talking about really how incredible this life called sobriety is and how um, I'm going to introduce the guest in a second, but how both he and I really were just completely so blown away by a life we really truly never knew existed. And I know that's something that our guest is really passionate about today and he's working on some projects behind the scenes that are really going to highlight that idea but I think we're going to have a great chat today. So we won't waste any time. I am introducing you today to Todd Kinney. Todd is a renowned attorney in Omaha, Nebraska, who loves to read, write, and travel. He was a classic gray area drinker. He looked like he had it all together on the outside, but he was tormented by his relationship with alcohol on the inside. He didn't know how he, he didn't like how he couldn't control it, no matter how hard he tried. He didn't like how he felt after drinking too much. And he didn't like how alcohol consumed his every single thought. Now, Todd eventually reached a tipping point where from almost in a systematic way, simply put, the negatives outweighed the positives. And after trying a self-proclaimed 48 different moderation hacks, Todd realized there was only one thing left to do, give it up for good. Now, Todd is here on the podcast because he really wants people to know about this whole other way of living that's called sobriety. He never would have believed in a million years that this existed and that it was even possible. He used to literally capital L-O-V-E, love drinking, and sober life is so much better than he ever imagined. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Louise. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. I have been enjoying, enjoying our offline conversation. I kind of wish we had just been recording the whole time because I feel like we were getting into some really meaty, juicy conversations, which I know that we will attack today in our conversation. But just for some context, I would love for you to share with the listeners just a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. And then we can kind of dive into the meat of things. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I don't, I don't have any spectacular, you know, rock bottom car in the ditch, spent the night in the jail cell, um, story that kind of shook me to, to quitting. I, I had a pretty, um, a very good childhood growing up, two parents, three siblings, um, I had didn't didn't want for much. We were very fortunate. It was an upper middle class household. My my dad was an attorney. My mom was a, a teacher and then stayed home with us for a little while and then was an administrator at a assisted living facility. But very normal, average um, uh, household growing up and had good relationships with with my parents. Um, one of those things that as I got to the point where I started evaluating, you know, do I have an alcohol problem? I thought, well, I don't I don't have some of these markers that I associate with alcoholics and people who have alcohol problems. So I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. Um, but, but alcohol was always around in our household. It was my dad drank daily. He was a very high functioning alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, it was with us at, you know, celebrations, vacations, sad times, good times, every time in between. 
um, it was a very typical, you know, that's kind of what you did. That's how you socialize. That's how you celebrated. That's how you spent time with, uh, family and friends. So I, I thought it was a very normal part of, of socializing and, and existing. And, um, it was, it was just always around it. It, it never dawned on me that one, that there was an option to live like without alcohol in your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that was like, what, that, that would be like living without eating food or yeah. living without showering. It was yeah. just very strange to me. So I, you know, I was, I was kind of a normal, you know, drinker, I guess, as a, as a teenager, I actually started a little later than some of my friends. Um, but I, I drank a little bit in high school, not a ton, but, but a little bit, um, went off to college and again, had a pretty typical college experience. I went to the university of Iowa, which it, like a lot of college campuses is there's no shortage of, of the, the drinking culture was, was front and center. Yep. Uh, and again, now looking back, there were, there were plenty of red flags that popped up during my college years that I didn't that I just kind of passed on by. Cause when, when you're in college, um, that everywhere you drinking, drunk people, um, people wanting to get drunk is everywhere you look. Mm. So it's, it's, if you're, if you're looking to be in a place where you can blend in and you can kind of push your alcohol issues to the side, college is a great place to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and, and so I, my, but my, my drinking kind of patterns really started to emerge it then. And my, my main kind of my, I've always said I've had, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic or whatever label you want to put on it, but I do know I had a very, un, I had an un, I've always had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And part of that unhealthy relationship has been, I was, I was always, it always felt like a race to me. Mm. Like it was a race to, to get buzzed. It was a race to get drunk. It was, it was just a race. I was in a hurry. I was, people would have um, two drinks and I'd have four and I'd be, I'd be looking for that fifth. And the normal drinker would be like, well, I had two drinks. I'm good. And I would be like, well, this is just getting started. Yeah. And so I more often than not, I was the drunkest person in the room. Um, I would, I, I would, it didn't take very much for me to have sections of the night before that I did not remember. Like even nights when I didn't drink very much, I would have fogginess with, with memories and things like that, which always mm -hmm. bothered me. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was constantly on my mind and I was constant, you know, if I'm on my third drink, when it's halfway done, I'm like, where's my fourth drink coming from? And, um, I'm, I was always surveying the room. Like, is, am I the drunkest one here? Is anyone drinking as much as I am? And if so, I'm going to go talk to that person because I won't feel as self-conscious about how much I'm drinking. And, um, you know, it was just, it was constantly on my mind. And, and even when, and, and to the point where, you know, I would, if we were doing something that night at like 10 o'clock in the morning, I would start thinking about like, okay, when am I going to have that first drink? Yeah. What am I going to, how many am I going to have? What time do I need to start slowing down? Um, and so I had numerous, numerous incidents in college where I just got way too drunk. And, and um, you know, for the most part, it's kind of laughed off. Um, but every once in a while you kind of sit down and think about it for a little bit, but, uh, I never thought about it that long. Um, cause I didn't want to, yeah. um, and the idea of doing something about it seemed really hard and really uncomfortable and really, um, something I just did not want to do. I, I want, and at that point I, I wanted to do something about those nights where I got really wasted but not bad enough, not bad enough to, mm -hmm. to affect my current drinking habits. So I kind of went on and um, went to law school. I thought I would settle down a little bit in law school. I thought, you know, it's law school. It'll be more serious than college and it'll be different. And um, 
it took about two days to realize that there was more drinking in law school and that the party atmosphere was was every bit as prevalent in law school as it was in college. It was more of a kind of a work hard, play hard. Yeah. Um, but it was it was I mean, we what the first night we were there, there was a there was a party put on by the Student Bar Association. There was an open bar. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Professors were there. Um, I was like, OK, maybe this isn't going to be less drinking than college. So law school didn't get any it didn't I don't know if it got any worse. Um, it didn't get any better. I know that. And I and I think law school is where I developed, um, um, you know, law school is a stressful time. And, and at that point, at that time in my life, my only coping mechanism, my main coping me mechanism was, was drinking. Mm -hmm. So I probably got into some, you know, more of a, more using it as a, as a coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, in your undergrad years, first of all, you're not even legally allowed to drink in the United States for most of them. Um, so it's more of like more of a secretive like party atmosphere right and I can see how now you get to law school everybody's of age you're more quote-unquote sophisticated now um and yeah like the pressures of real life are very real um so I can yeah. I can see how that would take a natural kind of turn although still using it for the celebration and the party just kind of adding in the coping mechanism as well yeah there, there was a there was a dive bar real close to the to the law school. And I mean, almost every night, it seemed like week weeknight, a group of us would go there after studying um, and, you know, have a few drinks. Um, I don't think we would get drunk very often, but it turned into something where the whole time I was there studying, I, I'm counting down the time. When, when can I be done studying so I can get to the bar and have that drink? So it, it very much got ingrained into my routine, into my um, what I was used to and what I looked forward to and, and, and all that stuff. So um, I, you know, I got into the professional world. Obviously, our, our profession is, is very, you know, work hard, play hard. It's not a good profession if you're if you're trying to control or or you're drinking or not drink. Um, which at the time I loved, you know, because I mean, we had in, in my in the in the firm I worked for out of law school, there was a place on the 11th floor of the building um, that was a bar that <laughs> was stocked with alcohol and attorneys would go to at the end of the day uh, and and have a drink. And again, that's it. Nobody nobody batted an eye at that. Um, yeah. it's, well, I just want to bring up some, it's a word that's just like blaring at me your entire life so far. Um, the word is reinforcement. And I feel like from the time you came out of the womb to we're now kind of in your mid twenties, um, like this idea of alcohol being such a normal thing at, for every aspect of your life has just been reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. And so to me, I'm like, Todd, there's there's no wonder you wouldn't even second guess this because really from a young age to when you started consuming yourself, as you enter into adulthood, it's just that still notion that alcohol should be prevalent everywhere is just being reinforced over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and I don't know if other people like this. I, it was, it was, it's just on a subconscious level. You don't even realize it. I didn't realize any of this stuff until I stopped. Yeah. But it, yes, it's so prevalent and it's so um, e even from a even from a young age, even in our house with our kids and the, and and uh, where I don't drink, um, they still get bombarded with with messages yeah. from from advertising to the alcohol industry to what they see in 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 other homes. It's mm -hmm. it's just yes, you're right. It is. It's absolutely everywhere. And it's it's you don't even you don't even realize what's happening. No. And why would you? Because you you were born into that culture. I mean, right, why right. would you second? Like, I love the analogy you made to food. Like, you wouldn't second guess eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's just what you do <laughs> to survive. Like, I mean, literally, this is it's it's just it's a pattern that I I kind of noticed over and over in every phase of your upbringing. Um, yes. Yeah, so. and that of course leads to when you start contemplating about giving it up. It's scary as hell because you're like, how am I going to function yeah. in this world, in my job? 
you know, with my friends on vacations, um, on, on Friday nights, on in the summer, um, you name it. You're like, how am I going to do that if Mm -hmm. I'm not drinking? Mm -hmm. It's frightening. Um, so yeah, it was, so the, the drinking kind of continued, you know, for me professionally, it was, um, again, there were, there were incidents that I'm, that I, that I cringe when I look back on. Um, but, but no, no outward consequences. You know, I wasn't losing my job. The cops weren't showing up my house. I wasn't getting, you know, there was no physical violence in our, in our house or anything like that. Um, but again, as these things do, they don't get better on their own. They, at best, they stay the same. They almost always get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know if my actual drinking got worse, but what, what happened was, you know, I got married, started having kids, my station in life changed. So the consequences from my drinking changed. And so going out and getting shit-faced on a Friday night and spending all day Saturday in bed, you know, when you're 24 is one thing, even though it's still not great, but when you're, when you're 28, 29 and have an infant or two at home, that's different. Um, and so what, what led me to start looking at this the very first time was I was starting to, it was starting to cause problems in my marriage. Um, so we got, I got married in 2002. And the, the first time I started evaluating, like taking an honest look at my drinking was 2013. So oh, we wow. had, it only, only took a lot. Only took 10 years. <laughs> uh, and four but, kids. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I can be a slow, a slow learner sometimes. <laughs> Um, really great at the bar, but everything else, (laughs) I was, um, you know, my wife and I were starting to have the same fight over and over again. And that was starting to worry me. And it was, and it was, it was, you know, I would get too drunk the night before. And, and we had this dance the next morning where I would wake up and I try to put the pieces back together of the night before figure out if I had done anything that, that she was going to be really pissed about. And then there's this whole, Oh, this is, I can't believe I did this for, we did this for so long because it just sounds miserable now when I talk about it, you know, I do this little dance trying to figure out how mad she was. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes she would be really pissed. Sometimes she wouldn't be, but this was, it was starting to starting to be a pattern and I felt it. I felt it. I, I, I didn't know much at that point, but I knew, you know, you can't let those things fester in a relationship because they start small and then they get bigger and then they get, sometimes they get to the point where you can't recover from them. And I'm like, this is a problem and I need to do something about it. So I went Can and I ask her- real quick, you sure. had awareness that these arguments within your marriage were going to essentially deteriorate your marriage if you didn't do something about it. At that time, was there a connection between the arguments and the alcohol? So, oh, funny you say that because when I, yes, there was. Okay. But, but when I went to see the therapist for the first time, my, my stated reason was I'm not getting along with my wife. We're fighting mm-hmm. a lot, which was true, but, but I wasn't, I wouldn't even say out loud to the therapist, like, I think alcohol might be an issue here. Well, you know, cause she's a professional. It took like five minutes before all we're talking about is my drinking on yeah. our first visit. So yeah. yeah, there was a connection. And, and what I've discovered now, you know, back to the slow learning department is, <laughs> you know, when you, when my, my wife would always say to me, I, I don't understand why you can't drink like a normal person. Mm. And, like, I, I don't either. I would love to drink like a normal person. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tried to do for a long time. And guess what? I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but she was never, she never gave me an ultimatum. She never said, um, I wish you would stop drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, those times, and, and there would be, there would be a stretch of months where, where my drinking was fine. Yeah. But, but the, the, the problems always came back. Yeah. It, it always came back. Um, and so that, that starts to erode your marriage or it did with ours. It's little chips 
here and there that you don't think are any big deal at the time. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing something that is making your wife, you know, mad, disappointed, causing anxiety, causing tension in, in the marriage, um, that's, that's not sustainable. Um, it's just not. And so, um, yes, so that's a long answer to your question. Um, they were connected. Um, Yeah. And so I, I went to the therapist. I said, we're not getting along very well. We're not being very nice to each other. We're, we're mean, we're meaner than we used to be when we fight with each other. Um, and then lo and behold, I look up and the session's over and all we've done is talk about my drinking. Talk about alcohol. <laughs> and I think there's so much there. I mean, first of all, I think it's only natural, even if you didn't have the awareness when you're starting to really question these behaviors and your marriage and your relationships, that brings on a lot of shame and guilt. So whether or not you're like saying it out loud to a therapist or not, there's a, there's a piece of you that kind of acknowledges like, yikes, I might be, you know, a lot responsible. I don't want to say solely responsible. Obviously it takes two to tango, but like, you know, a a lot responsible, very um, articulate of me for this situation. And like, I can't believe I've allowed my drinking to kind of be the cause of that. That is very shameful to even have those thoughts. And I, I know I can relate to those every morning, especially towards the end. It wasn't just wake up and see how mad or upset he was. It was like, wake up and like try to fabricate what even happened because I didn't remember anything. Um, and, and kind of, yeah, you're just, you wake up on eggshells because you don't know what you're walking into because of your own demise. Like you did that to yourself. Um, and that's a lot, that's a lot to wake up to every day. And then I think you made an, you made another comment about your wife. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation because your wife, you said that your wife made a comment at one point, like, why can't you just drink like a normal person? And I think that comment is so important to, to remember because what it highlights for me is, is something that we all know, like we're all different. Like, like none of us have a relationship. My relationship with alcohol is not Todd's relationship to alcohol is not his wife's relationship to alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. And what I think something like this podcast and so many other resources are doing right now is really highlighting that like, Hey, I'm not like you, we can't compare each other. Um, You know, and, and even as somebody who's trying to moderate, like you can't compare yourself to a quote unquote normal drinker because there's nothing to compare. You're, you're a different person. You're a different consumer of alcohol. And, um, I know one of the things I'm really passionate is about our spouses and empowering the spouses who are not the active addict to become educated about these topics. Because imagine if like you and your wife had the information now that like that you have now three years ago, four years ago when you were kind of like in this phase, it would have been a completely different conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the things, the, uh, one of the unexpected challenges for us after I gave it up was na- navigating things with her and our social life. And that was harder than mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was, I, I felt like she just did. she, I felt for a while, I felt like she, she just thought I was giving up pizza Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I, no, there's, there's a little bit more to it than that. This is really awkward and uncomfortable for Mm -hmm. me. Like, even if I'm not crazy, even if I'm not sitting here physically craving a drink, Mm -hmm. it's still very uncomfortable for me. And that's, that was, that, that was news to her um, because she thinks about alcohol or deals with alcohol so much differently than I do. Well, she thinks Um, of it as one food item. You think of it as the food pyramid. I mean, right. Right. Yeah. You know, (laughs) we went on a trip with our, um, with then 13 year old son. This Mm -hmm. was like a month after I, um, gave it up for good, even though I, I wasn't at the point where I decided I was going to yet. But anyway, we went on a trip to Los Angeles. It was just the three of us. And we just had one of those, like, just wonderful, like, Aww. like father's mother child days. Um, it was just a wonderful day. And at the end of the day, I made the comment to to my wife. I'm like, I am so glad I'm not drinking on this trip. And she said, why? I said, well, here's how the day would have gone. Yeah. If 
drinking. And I walked through like everything we had done and how it would have gone had I been drinking. Mm. And I was like, yeah, it, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been fall down drunk by the end of the day, but I would have been drunk, probably drunk enough that Landon, our son would have noticed mm-hmm. um, and went through how the whole day would have been different and worse and, and not even, not even, compa- and, and so instead of having a, you know, one of those top 10 days with your kids, yeah. I would have had something where I woke up the next day and was like, what, what, what is wrong with you? Mm. And it went through all that cycle of shame and embarrassment and regret and, and so I told her this and she was like, that's, that's, that's amazing. I did not know, like that all, again, all that was news to her, which, yeah. which shocked me because it's so, it was so front of mind for me. Mm-hmm. And I had been, I'd been thinking about alcohol in this way for 25 years. Mm-hmm. I just assumed she knew all that and she yeah. didn't. So yeah, it's it, the, the, the spouse thing is a really interesting dynamic if they don't think about alcohol the way you do mm-hmm. uh, and it's like i said it, it was an unexpected challenge for us and it took some we had to work through it it was hard yeah. at times i was like what what's going on here i don't know how to i i don't know how to, I, I felt like at times i didn't know how to work through it mm-hmm. but we did we just kept we just kept trying and 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 we did um but it, it takes some it takes some work yeah so yeah. Um, so you're in LA and you're a month before you kind of declare sobriety for good. So I'm assuming at this stage, you're experimenting with your 48 moderation methods and kind of making up all the rules. So can you kind of describe some of those failed attempts or failed methods that, that you tried? Yeah. And then ultimately, I'd love to just hear that conversation you had with yourself that ultimately led to the sobriety. So, yeah, if you you name it, and I've probably tried it. So that on that first visit to my therapist, she suggested a 30-day, uh, I'm sorry, a 90-day mm-hmm. break, uh, which terrified me. Mm-hmm. I mean, she might as well have asked me, and this is not a joke, to walk into a burning building. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, what, like 90 days? I was like, how about like a week or two? <laughs> she was like, you need 90 days to kind of fully realize some of the benefits. Yeah. She's right. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I was like, I didn't, I wouldn't even commit to it during that session. Um, but so at the end she said, will you at least think about it Mm -hmm. and and agree to consider it? And I said, yes, I will do that. And in the next couple of days I was like, God, I was like, she's, she, I need to do this. I need to do this. So Anyway, I, I committed to that. I did it. Um, and I remember coming out of that thinking, I am a changed drinker. Like mm-hmm. uh, I okay. realized some things about my drinking. And that's when I really, that's when I started the moderation. Road. Got it. So I did everything from like, I would make a list of everything I felt on a morning after that I drank too much. And I kept it on my phone and I just wrote out words, you know, like shameful, embarrassed, regretful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept that on my phone. And I would pull that out sometimes in the middle of a night of drinking. Mm. And a lot of times it would rein me in, um, but not all the time. So I did that. I would plan. I would. I. This is so crazy to me now that I think back on it. I literally like plan out my schedule. Like, okay, first drink at this time. Oh, wow. A break from nine to 10. And then, you know, two more drinks and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put a, I, I built, I build in like an hour and a half, uh, break into my drinking. I would not start until a certain time. Mm-hmm. I would limit myself to beer only, you know, no mixed drinks. I would say you're, you're done. You're done drinking at, at 11 o'clock PM, no matter what's going on. Last drink is, is at 11. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would write down um, ahead of time, like, this is how I want to feel tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, again, pull that out. Sometimes I stopped drink. I can't remember when I did this, but it was, I went a while where I did not drink on the weeknights at home. Yep. Uh, Cause again, I thought, well, I don't have a problem. I don't drink yep. on the week. Now I would, if I had a social outing somewhere else, like, like it was okay to drink at a restaurant. Um, but not at home. I used to just make us go out to restaurants every night. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, this is a good one. I, 
I at one point decided I was going to stop drinking period when yeah. I was, I had my kids in the car for any reason. Yep. Cause you know, we, we'd go, our kids were involved in all sorts of sports. Right. We'd go to baseball games. We'd go to a sports bar in between with the families, blah, blah, blah. And I started start thinking about like, how are the kids looking at, like they're looking around, all these adults are drinking yeah. and they're getting bars. Yeah. Uh, what do they think about that? And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, if I'm driving the kids anywhere, just no drinking period. Well, all that meant was I, that my kids went with my wife more often and I took a separate car. Okay. I mean, all I'm hearing is like, this is so much work. Like this is exhausted. I'm oh. exhausted listening <laughs> to this list. I'm exhausted. Totally exhausting. <laughs> it was, it was, and that's ultimately I got to the point where I was like, this is more work. The work I'm putting in yeah. is not, you know, when I balance it against the fun I'm having, uh, and then you, you pile on top of the shame and regret and embarrassment that showed up every morning when I drank too much. I'm like, it's the scales got out of whack. Yeah. Uh, it was a ton of work. And that's looking back, that's how I know number one, I can't moderate. And two, I had an issue with alcohol because it was yeah. too much work to control it to the, to the level I wanted to. Yeah. And uh, imagine what could happen if you applied that level of commitment and work and energy and effort to a different kind of life. Novel concept. Yeah. <laughs> novel concept. Yes. No, that's a good point. And I never <laughs> thought of it that way until, until after I, after I quit. So I'll get to the, the kind of the last straw weekend yeah. was, was we had a weekend in Arizona. We were celebrating some family friends, uh, a family friend's 40th birthday. And so there were no kids. And I've known this family since I, since birth. And they're, they're, they have three girls. They're kind of like sisters to me, her parent, their parents were my godparents. Um, so we always have a good time together. Um, it was them and, and my parents and me and my wife and a couple other people. And one of the nights at the resort where we had spent all day by the pool um, and it was just one of those like really nice days You're spending at the pool. You don't have kid responsibility, parenting responsibilities. So we did a fair amount of drinking at the pool. We go up to our rooms at like five o'clock, whatever. Everyone's getting ready for dinner. And my wife's trying to get me to stay in the room because I've had too much to drink. And I'm mm. like, I haven't had too much to drink. Um, I just need, I need to go eat dinner and I'll be fine. Um, so she was really trying to get me to stay in the room. Well, I didn't stay in the room. We go down, we meet in this, um, this private room at the resort and everyone's kind of milling around getting ready for dinner. And I'm sitting down at a table and my wife's next to me. And then my parents are on the other, the opposite side of the table. Mm -hmm. And my wife leans over to me. And, and again, she's trying to get me to go up to the room. And my wife leans over to me and she says, your parents are staring at you. And I was like, what? And she was like, she said it again. She said, your parents are staring at you. And when I woke up the next day, I could not get those words out mm. of my head. And what I, I was, my parents are the most wonderful, compassionate people in the world. And what I was thinking was, I was thinking about what they were thinking, looking across the table at their 44 year old adult mm. son who has a family of his own mm -hmm. and they're probably, you know, maybe they're probably embarrassed for me. They're probably sad mm -hmm. for me. They're probably just really sad. They're probably sad for my wife mm -hmm. and they're probably just sad for me. And like that, uh, that hit me in a way that mm. nothing else did. Even as like a 44 year old adult mm. um, who had been out from under his parents care for 25 years, whatever it was. I mean, I, it took me back to like, I, the idea of making my parents feel like that about me just broke me. I, I could not, I couldn't shake that. I couldn't shake. And that was what, that was the last weekend I drank. Wow. Um, so I, I, the first thing I did when I got home was like, I'm committing to three months minimum. I don't know what I'm doing beyond that. Yeah. Three months minimum. Then I went and talked to my therapist uh, like a week or two later. And she said, what about six months? You know, yeah. you've done the three months before. How about something different? 
And at the time I was like, all right, let's do it. Six months. Awesome. So, and then in the, sometime in the middle of that three month to six month period, I was like, um, I had the realization. What did it for me was I, I finally admitted to myself, like, I can't control this. I can't. How many more times does this need to happen to you before there's enough evidence in the bank that you can't control your drinking? Yeah. And once I finally said to myself, you cannot control your drinking, then it was like, okay, then if you want to make a change, if you truly want to make a change, there's only one thing left to do and that's give it up for good. Mm -hmm. And I got to the point where I had truly wanted to make a change. So I was like, oh shit, I got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, and that was, so that was it. That weekend was the last, um, the last time I drank. Unbelievable. Um, it's amazing how sometimes the exact phrase that we've been fighting or questioning for so many years, whether it's alcoholic, I can't control my drinking, any of those kind of, you know, phrases or words, we fight, 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 fight them. And then the moment we accept them is the moment of freedom. Oh my gosh. I felt like a boulder had been lifted off my it yes uh it I, in fact one of the things i that that reassured me right away that i was making the right decision was even at, like i went a week after i admitted this to myself before i mm-hmm. said it out loud to my wife mm-hmm. and and one of the things that that told me that i was making the right decision even though i was scared shitless about doing it was after i told my wife i said i i think i need to give up alcohol for good mm-hmm. um I felt so good after saying that out loud. It just felt, yes, it felt very liberating. Mm -hmm. um, And it felt like the weight of the world was off my shoulders. You know, it's funny because when you were in your 20s in undergraduate school, one of the things that you mentioned was that you felt like you were always in a race. Like you felt like you were always just like a race to the finish line, a race to be ahead of somebody else, always in a hurry. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. And to me now, the story's just, it's kind of like slowed down. We're all taking a breath, like just you having this conversation with your wife and that experience in Arizona, it's like the race is over. Like we're just all kind of walking through the park now, you know? (laughs) And I I call it like, I call it my race to nowhere. Mm, I I was, I was racing some, I thought I knew where I was going, but really I was going nowhere. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, that's a good description of how life feels for me now. Um, is it, you know, life doesn't, your life doesn't, when you stop drinking, life still goes on Mm -hmm. and all the, you know, your job, your family, your friends, whatever, whatever stressors you had in your life before, Mm -hmm. they're all still there. Um, none of that changes, but but the, the inner peace I have that I didn't know I needed and that I didn't know existed mm-hmm. is absolutely priceless. And the, the way that I approach life and the way that the different ways that life affects me now or doesn't affect me mm-hmm. um, is such a change and is such a is such a different way of going through life um, that I didn't even know existed. Um, that it's, it's, it's so wonderful, and it's it. Whatever the whatever the struggle you go through to get to the point where you give up alcohol, um, and there there is struggle, and oh, it's yeah. different for everyone, and it lasts. For some people, it lasts a month. For some people, it lasts a year. For some people, it lasts two years. Yeah, but. But getting through that and getting through the storm, as I say, and getting to the other side um, is 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 worth it a hundred times over. And I tell people all the time, it's the best decision I've ever made for myself or my family. It's the, it's the single best thing yeah. I have ever done for myself, bar none, hands down. And I I, I hope and I, I always like to talk to people who have been sober for a really long time because I, I always want to ask them like, does the gratitude ever go away? Because I, I don't want it to go away. Because the the gratitude I have nowadays is off the charts compared to, and I would have called myself a grateful person mm-hmm. while I was, 
but it's 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 a completely different ball game um since i gave up alcohol on how grateful i feel i love this so you have obviously mentioned that really the main reason you're here on the podcast is to really highlight this life of sobriety and and what it can bring to you as an individual and then i heard you just say now I didn't even, the inner peace that I feel now, I never even knew existed before. So if I'm somebody listening right now that I'm still very much in that struggle journey um, to kind of finding my way and finding my relationship with alcohol. And I'm like, okay, I hear you, Todd, but what do you mean? Like, can you dig in for us? And I know it's unique for everybody and we're all individuals, but can you dig in for us a little bit deeper on what you mean by that inner peace that you never knew existed and what it is that you experience now? Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. One is the, the, um, the, the, the cycle of shame and embarrassment and regret, um, never having to go through that again is uh, is liberating and feels really good and no knowing that i'm never going to wake up and have to do that dance Mm -hmm. again with my with my wife or that i'm never going to have to wake up and say oh shit did i say something or do something inappropriate last night let me check my texts um all all that stuff that we do that i did yeah yeah not no knowing like that, that you never have to do that again, bring that brings me a lot of peace and comfort. The other thing is I feel more, I, I, I heard people say this all the time and I didn't know what they meant, but I feel more authentic. Mm-hmm. I feel more like myself. I feel like I'm a more honest version of myself. And I think that's because, I mean, even if we're not telling big, huge lies to other people, and sometimes we are because of our drinking, we we tell little lies to our to ourselves yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, oh well, if if as long as I'm not doing this, I'm my drinking's fine. Yeah. Um, that sort of stuff. The I'm only going to have two drinks tonight, or the next day telling your significant other, whomever. I, you know, I only had two drinks. And I'm, you I you do so much little lying, mm-hmm. um, and that stops mm-hmm. when when you when you give it up. That makes me feel more at peace with myself. And then things like, um, one of the things that that drove me in early sobriety so much was I would have conversations, just normal, non, I mean, I say non-consequential, but they're consequential to me. Everyday conversations with my kids at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night that never would have taken place had I been drinking because one, I would have, I would have, either been, I mean, even if I wasn't, again, passed out, wasted, I would have been focused on drinking. Drinking would have been my priority at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. And so those conversations never would have happened. And I have, I have the knowledge now, and I've got three teenage sons and and an 11 year old girl. Um, So shit's going to happen. We're going to get phone calls at midnight that where we have to jump out of bed and we have to go somewhere, whatever. Um, I'm going to be there to handle that. Now, you know how many nights that could have happened when I was drinking where I would have been worthless Mm -hmm. as a partner and as a parent. And that makes you feel like shit. And again, knowing that's gone just gives you a sense of peace that is priceless. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think your kids sense it too. I know they do. I know that. Um, and that makes me feel really good as a, as a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So what, what I would say to that person is because I went through a phase where I'm like, I know this is the right decision for me and there's all these good things coming from it, but I'm still battling. Like I, I'm still grouchy about it. I'm still pissed off that I can't drink. And I thought I'm like, this, this is going to suck. It's going to be like this for the rest of my life. And I'm going to have these pity parties where I'm like, well, yeah, you guys, you, everybody, everybody in this room is having a great time. And, and I'm not, cause I'm not drinking and this yeah. is bullshit. And I'm like, again, it, it never really got to the point where I was like, do I really want to quit? Cause I knew, I knew I needed to, and I knew I wanted to, but I had these nagging 
nagging thoughts like, you know, life's just, I'm just going to have these crappy moments where life's going to suck a little bit because I don't drink. That's not true. It feels like that's how it's going to be forever. And it's not that way forever. Um, and I've discovered this whole other way of, of living that I had no idea was out there and is so much better. Unbelievable. I mean, what I hear is you essentially removed the toxicity from your life, right? You moved the lying, you moved the shame, you removed the embarrassment. Like now your embarrassment moment is like tripping over something, right? Um, and then as a result of removing the toxicity from your life, not just the poison that you were ingesting, you stepped into a version of yourself that you, you never even knew you could be. And especially, I know you and I are both parents and we've talked about this offline, just like honestly becoming the type of parent that you, you didn't even know you had within you to be. And, and there's no greater joy than, yeah. than being able to offer that to your own children. Um, yeah. So. Your always, answer was so beautiful. Like you, gosh, you literally just painted. If I was somebody questioning or doubting or on the precipice of making this decision, the what you just described is so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> well, I thank you. I I hope so because it it is it is beautiful and and you can't you you I didn't see it I didn't know it you can't you have you got you just you got to go through the storm and you got to get there. But I'm telling you, it's there and it's. Yeah. And it's worth it a hundred times over. Mm -hmm. And Todd, I just love your journey too, because, you know, it, it demonstrates the journey. Like you spent a lot of time in that mental anguish. You spent a lot of time experimenting. You spent a lot of time seeking professional help. You spent, you know, I mean, like you went through all of these different steps and, that's what it is all about. And that's why I'm not like a big proponent of like, at least for myself, celebrating my milestones, because for me, I want credit for the months and quite frankly, years that led up to the final day that I consumed alcohol. And, and for me, that's what I hear a lot in your story is like, you had this really incredible weekend in Arizona that was just eye-opening and, and life-changing, quite frankly. But the amount of work that went in, like leading up to that oh, weekend, yeah. you were doing the work. You were searching for the answers long before that weekend, you know? I was. That that weekend was was the last straw weekend, yeah. but it was also a culmination of yeah. many, many, many other things along the along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am so grateful for everything that you've shared with us today, your story, your wisdom, your knowledge and experience. Todd, if individuals wanted to find you, get in touch with you, if there's anything they need to know about you that you're working on, what can you share with us? Uh, well, I, I don't have a large social media presence, but I, I'm on Facebook. I'm a member of the, the Together Sober Facebook group. So you can find me there. I'm on Instagram at tkinney111. Um, and I would say to anyone, if anyone wants to reach out and ever talk about this stuff, um, please do. I I reached out to people. I benefited so much from from talking to people um, and hearing their stories. And, and I, those things help me so much. And if I can help anyone along the way, I am more than happy to do so. Um, I'm, I'm writing a book that at this pace will be finished in about nine years, but I'm hoping better than that. Um, but I want to write something that helps someone in the way that so many things I read helped me. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that's, that's what makes the world go round with this stuff. Yeah. If you know, you got to show the way for other people, like people did for me. Um, yeah. so Anyway, if anyone ever wants to reach out, I am more than happy to to chat, whether it be once or or five times or fifty times. I I I love talking about this stuff because I'm so passionate about seeing people get through the storm to the other side. That's amazing. Thank you for your generosity. You know what you just said made me think. We talked earlier in our conversation about this idea of comparison and in active addiction, like we compare ourselves, you know, maybe if you wanted to drink heavily that night, you would go find the people that were drinking even oh, heavier, yeah. right? Like, and so that comparison game also works the other way. So for example, if, if 
you're in the middle of your messy middle in that journey and you're trying to find the answers for yourself, start comparing yourself in the opposite direction. Like reach out to people like Todd, reach out to people in your community that have found sobriety and ask yourself that question like, oh, what if I could feel like them? Um, what if I could experience what they've shared with me? Um, so in the same way that we're kind of comparing ourselves the opposite way to talk ourselves into addiction, I think we can also, not the comparison's really ever a wonderful thing, but I think that we can use that to help us navigate ourselves into the direction that we want to be going. Um, so thank you for offering um, your conversation. Um, appreciate it so much. One last question for you, Todd. It's a question I ask all of our interviewees before we close. And I'm curious your answer and your version of this question. So here it is. It's a hypothetical question. So we're going to assume that everybody's going to adhere and follow it. And the question is, if you could create one rule or law as it applies to sobriety, recovery, et cetera, to help make the world a better place, what would that rule or law be? So I would, good question. Um, I don't know if this is if this is a law per se, but what I would love to see happen is the shame removed from people evaluating their relationship with alcohol. I would love for that to fall away and for there to be no stigma around someone standing up and saying, I don't, I may need, to, I may drink too much, or I don't like how alcohol is affecting my life or my relationships because it it's it's out there it's it's changing i think and what you're doing and things like that are are absolutely making an impact um i remember before i found my first online like sobriety support group i mean there was a time literally not that long ago when i felt i felt like i was the only person on earth that struggled with alcohol in the way that i did um so, and and a lot of that was you're scared because you, you, you feel like if you say, I, I need to look at my relationship with alcohol, people are going to be like, you have a problem. And why do you have a problem? And you must spend every waking moment drinking from a vodka bottle and you're a terrible father mm -hmm. and you're a terrible husband and all that stuff. Um, so to see that, if that could go away and people would be more um, open to having these discussions, I think that'd be fantastic. I think we should implement it. I love that answer. I, I absolutely love it. I think you're right. Just imagine if we could strip away that shame, kind of reduce or end that stigma, then what does the recovery road look like? Then what does the discovery, yeah. you know, for people look like? It would, it would change everything. So I love that. Well, Todd, thank you a million times over for being here. Thank you for your passion for the life that you've created for yourself. I mean, it just exudes through the screen and our conversation today. So thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly. We appreciate it so much. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for what you do. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Together, Sober listeners, I hope you added a whole bunch of value and you're really starting to form and create your own survival guide. This is why we're here every week to present you with a new story, a new perspective, some new resources to help you create your own survival guides. And Together, Sober listeners, you will hear from us next week. Bye now. If you're still listening right now, I'm going to assume that you really liked this episode. And if that's the case, can you please go ahead and rate and review the Together Sober podcast? What this does is organically puts the podcast into more listeners' ears, thus creating more lasting and effortless sobriety and mental peace for others.